I am. That's a big phrase. I don't think a lot of us, when we think of that phrase, truly understand what goes into that. Um, Jason talked about it last week, and he um, went back all the way into Exodus and talked about the first time that that word was uttered in Scripture. And think about that moment for a second. This is the first time Moses is getting to speak to God. Somebody that's going to have a great relationship with God for the rest of his life. He'll have some mess-ups. He'll have shortcomings, those kind of things. But he's going to have an ongoing relationship where he's communicating with God. He's getting to see God in a way that nobody else in human history up to that point had ever experienced God. And he asked God what his name is. And God responds with something that's really cool. He says, I am that I am. Um, there's another pastor I like to listen to um, who says a better translation might be, I be that I be. Grammatically incorrect, kind of gangster, I know. But I be that I be. And what he's saying there, what God is saying in that moment is I am what I've always been, what I currently am, and what I'm going to be. I am. And this was a big word in the Jewish religion. Like the word Yahweh, the word Yaffa was a massive word for them. Like this wasn't something that they just wrote down that they talked about. They created another way to say it because it was so respected, so high, so set apart, they didn't even want to say it. So they invented the word Jehovah. Now, how many of you guys have heard the word Jehovah before? Almost everybody in the room. That is a way to say Yahweh without saying Yahweh. They added letters in so that they could say it. Jehovah was looked at the name that they created, that they kind of added letters to, they had so much respect for that word that when they would write it in the Old Testament, if you go back to Old Testament scribes, when they're transcribing the Bible and they're writing copies of the Old Testament, whenever they wrote the word Jehovah, they'd throw the pen away because no other word was worthy of coming after Jehovah. This was a special word. It was the name of God. So if you fast forward, you go forward a couple thousand years, you have Jesus comes on the scene and you have Jesus, he's being followed by 12 disciples. He's got one that he's super close with, okay? Uh, John was probably the one that was tightest with him. John is the only one out of the 12 that didn't take off and run. Like he was with Jesus even when Jesus is going to the cross. He was in the trials. He was there at the foot of the cross when Jesus is being crucified. And Jesus looks down to John and says, John, take care of my mom. He was that tight with Jesus. So John, this disciple that's super close with him, goes at the end of his life and he's writing this gospel thinking about all the things that he found the most important about who Jesus was. And there were some statements in there that were super important, that were super critical to who he thought Jesus was. Out of all the things he wanted people to know about Jesus, these statements were things that he wanted included. He even goes at the end of the book, he says, if I wrote down everything Jesus did, there's not enough paper in the world to hold it all. But these statements make it in. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the vine. All these different phrases keep popping up. But at the beginning of them are those two words, I am. Jesus is clearly stating that he is God. That's why every time he makes one of these statements, the Pharisees get super angry at him. So yeah, last week we talked about, I am the bread of life. Jesus is saying that 
I'm God, but I'm also the thing that's gonna give you satisfaction, give you fulfillment. I'm going to sustain you the way that the manna in the Old Testament wasn't going to. I am. And we're gonna cover some other I am statements that Jesus made, but the one that we're gonna talk about today, I was trying to think of the best way to start it, but how many of you guys have ever been lost before? Raise your hand if you've been lost, okay? I don't get lost incredibly often. Typically, I have a pretty good sense of direction. Um, The most terrifying time, uh, there's two occasions that I can think of where I kinda got lost. Um, When I was seven years old, I was in Walmart, and I kinda walked away from my family and I could not find them. And like, I was logical at this time. I was like, okay, I'm gonna walk by every aisle in Walmart and walk straight by. No, no. And I walked through the entire store looking for my parents. I could not find them. And then as a seven-year-old, I'm like, I've heard them say names over the intercom before. We're doing this. As a seven-year-old, I walk all the way to the front of the store and I stand in line and I'm waiting to talk to the customer service people. I don't think I could even spell customer service, but I knew that's what it meant. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna stand here. And then I remember turning around because I'd been in line for about 15 minutes and I see a bald head in one of the checkout aisles and I'm like, that's dad. (laughs) And I found him. I found my family. Cat-like reflexes, I know. Um, So I was lost then. A second time that I can think of being lost, I went camping with some students uh, a couple years ago, and I'm not gonna say their names because I'm still kind of mad about one part of it. Um, it. It was dark, okay? So I get there late, I'm expecting them to have a fire started already. This, if it's dark outside and it's 30 degrees, get the fire started during the daylight. And there's a student in here who knows exactly who I'm talking about. He's in here right now, that's one of them. And, uh, You get the fire started, his older brother, not him, he didn't do anything. Uh, But I get there, there's no fire. Not only that, but there's no firewood. They didn't collect anything. So I'm like, dang it. So I put my headlamp on, I have to go out in the middle of the woods and start finding firewood. And I've got a hatchet and a machete and I'm just going to work. Well, I spent about an hour and a half out there. It's 11 o'clock at night and I've got plenty of wood, but I'm all discombobulated. I have no clue where I'm at. It's pitch black outside and there's 30 coyotes that you can hear just howling. Now we're on an island in the middle of the lake. They can't get to me, but it's still terrifying. And I'm like, I have no idea where I'm at. So I just start screaming their name. They yell back at me. I'm like, okay, I've got the direction. And I start going. But the biggest lost story in my family, when you think about being lost, my brother has no sense of direction whatsoever. He gets lost all the time. He's been lost in Walmart as a 20-year-old. Like, he just (laughs) gets lost all the stinking time. But the best story when I think of being lost, I can't remember if I was a senior in high school or a freshman in college, he's like two grades below me. So he's 15, 16, 17 years old in this story. And he decides he's gonna go on a bike ride. My dad had, uh, is really into cycling and stuff like that. So he takes my dad's road bike, puts the fancy shoes on where you lock in, and then if you fall, you're, you're done for because you're strapped in. And he starts going. And he's just doing a 15, 20 minute ride, goes and He's cycling around and now he's coming back towards the house and there's the turn to our house and he keeps going. Dead serious, he keeps going. He, he didn't know, he didn't recognize it. It's the house we've lived in for 20 years at this point but he doesn't recognize the road and he keeps going. He's like, well, where's that turn at? And he keeps going. Five minutes. 
10 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes he drives. He has to go to a gas station, get on the phone and call home because he's in Cherryville. Okay, now y'all don't understand that. That's a car ride that's over 30 minutes away from our house. He drove and drove and drove and he was lost. And when you end up in that situation, if you've ever truly been lost, like my brother was in this moment, there's nothing you can do. You're just sitting there and you're like, I'm terrified. You're terrified. You don't know how you're gonna end up getting home. You don't know what's going to happen. And you're looking for any and every solution. And I, one of the things I'm super into is nature documentaries and it talks about getting lost, those kind of things. Your adrenaline starts pumping and you, you're just freaking out and you end up making bad decisions. If you go back to the Old Testament, one of the things that causes you to get lost more than anything else is darkness. Back in those days, there wasn't electricity, we didn't have light bulbs, all those kind of things. It was 2,000 years before Thomas Edison too. And darkness was a thing to be feared. Darkness was something that terrified people. They would stay in their house, there wasn't windows in their houses, uh, they didn't have nice glass, those kind of things. You would light a candle and it would fill up the whole house. But you would not go out at night. That's where the robbers were, that's where the bandits were, that's where the thieves were, and all these different people that could be set upon. You're walking around at night back in those days, an animal can come get you. You can get in trouble really, really fast in the darkness. Darkness back then represented hopelessness and fear. Jesus comes in and he makes a statement during this time period. And it's a big statement. In uh, John 8, verse 12, he says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is coming in, he, this is right after he uh, talks to the woman caught in adultery, and he's making a big scene around the Pharisees, and he's got this festival that's going on that actually has to do with light, and he stands up in the middle of this, and he goes, I am the light of the world. I am, I'm God, the light of the world, okay? And what he is saying is, if you're in the midst of darkness, I'm the thing that can get you out. I'm the thing that can save you. I'm the thing that can point you the right direction. And when we look at scripture, like you have over and over again, it talks about the Bible being a lamp to your feet, a light to your path, all these different kind of things. Jesus is claiming to be that light. And you have to think about the Israelites in this time period. Okay, the Israelites have been wandering around for 2,000 years trying to find the Messiah that had been promised to them. They were promised a promised land, they've got it. They were promised tons of descendants. They've got it. But they were also promised to be a blessing to the entire world. Not just to themselves, but they were going to be a light to all the generations around them. But they've never seen that guy. And they've been waiting for him, looking for these signs that have been put in the Old Testament. And they're looking for this Messiah. They're looking for this light to come. And then you have this guy named Jesus who comes. He's doing miracles. He's making the lame walk. He's making the mute talk. I did not mean to rhyme there, I'm sorry. And like the deaf are able to hear, the blind are able to see, all these different miracles he's doing. He eventually is gonna raise a guy from the dead. And this man is claiming to be God and this guy is claiming to be the light that they've been looking for. I am the light of the world. When I think about this darkness that they might be in, it reminds me of a camp. 
um, that I've been to here at this church, actually. Um, it's one of my favorite camps that we go to. We, we used to go to it um, when Jason and I were in junior high, and then it got really expensive, so we had to stop going. But um, Camp Eagle was this little camp that we would take our lead team students to, and we'd jump off of stuff, and we'd do zip lines and all this kind of stuff, and there was a lot of team building activities. Now, I'm not scared of heights at all. I love hiking, I love the outdoors. I'm scared of two things in this world, really. I'm scared of bees, I hate bees. Hornets and wasps are bees too. They, they, if it buzzes and it has a stinger, it's a bee. So I'm scared of bees. But two, I'm claustrophobic. I hate tight spaces. I hate it. it. Specifically, there are triggers to it. If I can't move my arms past right here, I start spazzing out a little bit. But if I can't move my feet, I'm done. And like, I feel like I'm gonna have a nervous breakdown. And during my leg injury, I, I lost the ability to move my toes and my left foot. And moving my toes was one of my ways of calming myself down. So I would have those moments where I would just completely freak out. My, I would start yelling. My mom would have to come in, start messing with my foot a little bit, and I'd just be like, oh gosh. And I'd, I'd be like hyperventilating almost. Well, Camp Eagle has a thing. It's a cave. <laughs> you drop through a hole about that big around. You go down in there, and you have to crawl. Now, it is a tight fit for our junior high students, and they're little. First time I did this, I weighed 250, 260 pounds. Okay, the junior high students are having trouble. I'm gonna have some issues. Not only that, Jason, it's really tight for Jason. I outweigh him at this point by 10 to 15 pounds. And I'm claustrophobic. Now, I'm not one of those people that's gonna just shrink back and not be terrified and, like, and just get conquered by my fear. So I'm gonna go into this tunnel. But I remember, this is a word for word quote. Jason and I get down into the hole we're sitting there looking at each other, and I look him dead in the face, and I go, I hate you. And as long as we're in this hole, I hate you. When we get out, we're cool, but I hate you. He's like, okay. And I start crawling, and my stomach and my back are both hitting the ceiling and the floor, and I'm going, and my feet get stuck a couple times. I'm spazzing out, and the entire time, I'm just repeating, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. Jason's behind me, being compassionate, like legitimately, I'm, I'm not gonna throw him under the bus. He legit was compassionate. He's like, you're okay, keep going. It was nice, it was, it was nice having somebody pushing me along. And I'm like, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. And then we get, I slide down this little thing into this giant cavern and I'm gonna sit down, I'm just warning the camera. We have to sit down in this hole and it gets pitch black. And I'm like, this thing's gonna cave in on us, we're all gonna die. And then they make me turn my headlamp off. We're about 12 to 16 feet underground. They make us hit the headlamp. And it goes off. And I've, I've, you have that phrase where people say you couldn't see the hand in front of your face. If Jason wanted to punch me in the jaw, he could have done it. I had no idea it was coming. You couldn't see anything. And you couldn't really hear anything. The only thing you could hear were some of the girls in our group sniffling uh, because a lizard crawled on one of them and they're freaking out a little bit. It's a real story. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, you're okay, you're okay. They're doing some sort of object lesson and I can't remember what they were saying because I was freaking out. But in that moment, I truly saw what darkness was. The hopelessness of that. And I was trapped in my hopelessness. I was trapped in my fear. 
And eventually I get out of the hole and I hug Jason. I'm like, okay, we're good. And we have that moment. But being in that pit was terrifying. It was terrifying. There's a light in this world. Like, you guys are dealing with a world that is broken, that is dark, and there's tons of emptiness in this world. You guys are seeing school shootings, and it's happening way too often. You're seeing broken families, you're seeing the corruption of our morals as a society, and it's an everyday thing for y'all. You open your phone, you go to Google, and the things just pop out. And all you see is darkness, all you see is brokenness, all you see is pain. And so often in this world, we forget that there's a light. There's a light. A light that was willing to die for you. A, life that, a light that came to this earth, lived the life we were supposed to live, died a death that we deserve, taking the wrath of God for ourselves. But even more than that, he rose. He took that death and he conquered it for us. There's a passage that I really love, and it's in 1 John chapter 1. And it's also John talking about Jesus, and he said, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Jesus is that light. Jesus is that light for you, for me, for anybody in this world that feels like they're trapped in that. And I, I guarantee there are people in this room right now that feel like they're stuck in darkness. Whether it be their family, dealing with a relationship with their parents, whether um, a family member is sick and they're dying, whether going to school is the most miserable place on the face of the planet. There are people in this room that are dealing with that darkness. There's a light for you. And he loves you. And he cares for you. And he wants to have a relationship with you.